Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Kelsey Tamburino. As part of the recently enacted debt ceiling deal, lawmakers included only modest changes to permitting the process for getting federal approval for energy projects. As you probably know, permitting was and continues to be a hot topic in the energy space. Negotiations around the permitting process are expected to continue on the Hill this summer. But Congress isn't the only federal entity that has impacted permitting efforts in the last month. In fact, the Supreme Court's decision last month to sharply curb the Clean Water Act may have a far bigger impact on federal permitting across the country. So today, Politico's Annie Snyder on how the Supreme Court, not Congress, is delivering big on permitting reform. It's Tuesday, June 6th. Just before the Memorial Day weekend, the Supreme Court came out with really a blockbuster decision in the world of Clean Water Act law. There has been, for most of the past 50 years, a really expansive take on what streams and wetlands ought to fall under the law's protections and, by the same token, under the law's permitting requirements. And this recent Supreme Court decision really upended our understanding of what's supposed to fall under the law. It dramatically narrowed the number of wetlands and potentially also streams that fall under those permitting requirements. It cut at least in half the number of wetlands that need to go through permitting. And so it's really hard to overstate how significant of a decision this is, both in terms of permitting and in terms of environmental protection. Clean Water Act permits Permits, we call them 404 permits for filling in streams and wetlands, are one of the most significant permitting requirements that basically any infrastructure project across the landscape comes across. It's really hard to build anything on the landscape without crossing one of them. And so you'd end up with housing developments and highways and oil pipelines, gas pipelines, renewable energy infrastructure, basically anything that you wanted to build across the landscape, you'd end up intersecting with one of these covered wetlands or streams. And that permitting regime would impose costs because you would have to mitigate the harm or the impact of that you're having on that stream or wetland. And it was also imposing delays because it's it can be a laborious, lengthy process These permits were a source of not only cost, but also delay for infrastructure projects of all flavors. And with a dramatically narrower scope to what falls under the law, you're going to see projects that either don't require water permits, wetland permits at all, and the projects, the really big projects that are going to continue impacting streams and wetlands that are covered under the Clean Water Act, you're going to see far, far fewer streams and wetlands being impacted. And it's simply going to make it a lot easier to permit projects across the landscape. Yeah, but you're reporting that this has knock-on effects beyond just water permitting. How does this connect with other environmental requirements and to the recent changes we saw on the debt ceiling package? Yeah, so wetland permits are in their own right a very big deal, but they are also often the federal decision that is triggering other environmental statutes, right? So the negotiations that just happened on the debt ceiling deal related largely to the National Environmental Policy Act, you know, environmental reviews that are triggered when there's a federal decision. Well, if there isn't a federal decision, you don't trigger the NEPA requirements. And in many cases, 
the wetlands permit was the thing that was triggering NEPA requirements. And so if you're able to design a project that avoids the much narrower number of streams and wetlands that are now covered by federal law, then you're able to not only go forego getting a Clean Water Act permit, but you're also able to forego all of the National Environmental Policy Act review requirements. And so when you saw Congress sort of tweaking how these environmental policy reviews are done, and then compare that to not needing to do them at all because of the Clean Water Act decision, I think you see these two things sort of working in tandem to greatly narrow the types of environmental reviews that infrastructure is going to have to go through. There are also implications for Endangered Species Act requirements. And, you know, also under the sort of scope of the Clean Water Act, it's worth noting that we've seen some big battles coming out of blue states where you've seen governors or Democratic-led administrations opposing certain infrastructure projects, particularly things like pipelines. And they've used authority under the Clean Water Act to veto those projects. Well, they only get that authority if a project triggers Clean Water Act permitting. So if you're able to design a project in a way that avoids federally protected streams and wetlands, then the state no longer has that lever. Now, I'll add an asterisk to that. You know, pipelines have been the source of a lot of those battles. A lot of those have been natural gas pipelines. You're still going to trigger environmental review because natural gas pipelines you know, have to go through FERC. And it's also a lot harder to design something like a pipeline to avoid crossing a stream, just the nature of a pipeline having to travel a lot across the landscape. I think we're less likely to see impacts on something like pipelines, but there are lots of other types of projects that states have regularly used this authority, if not to outright veto a project, to sort of condition a permit and require changes to be made to a project or requirements to be complied with in order to protect their own water standards. And that's going to be significantly impacted by this decision. Right. Yeah. So if not pipelines, what kind of projects and where in the U.S. would we most likely see the impact here? Well, in terms of wetlands and water permitting writ large, I mean, everything, anything you build on the landscape is going to be impacted by this decision. If not outright not needing a permit, certainly the requirements of a permit being much, much narrower because of the narrower jurisdiction. This decision is going to have a particularly strong impact in the West, where the, so the Supreme Court, in its opinion, is requiring wetlands to have a continuous surface water connection to other streams and rivers. And so that's going to be a lot less likely to be satisfied in the West. I think it's likely that we're going to see broad swaths of the West fall outside of jurisdiction, depending on how the decision is interpreted. But we got a little bit of a preview from a Trump-era regulation that was finalized in 2020 and was on the books for about a year before the courts took it off the books and later the Biden administration. That That Trump-era rule codified a definition of what waters are protected that was actually not as narrow as what the Supreme Court just endorsed. And the Trump-era rule took half of the country's wetlands outside of federal authority. And we saw some really big projects no longer need water and wetlands permits. We saw not just a big copper mine out in Arizona, where we might sort of think of it being drier and less likely that you'd see federal jurisdiction. But we also saw a big mine outside of the Okefenokee Swamp in Georgia, an area that, you know, it's a swamp. (laughs) But under the definition of the Trump era rule was no longer falling under federal protection. So I think we're going to see a wide variety of projects impacted by this decision and a number of projects able to move forward without not just water reviews, but environmental reviews at large. Also on Monday, the Biden administration outlined a pathway to scaling up U.S. clean hydrogen production 
while driving down costs. The administration unveiled its congressionally required U.S. National Clean Hydrogen Strategy and Roadmap, which positioned clean hydrogen as playing a key role in the administration's broader decarbonization targets. The strategy included plans to accelerate the production, processing, delivery, storage, and use of clean hydrogen. The Energy Department said a five-fold increase in hydrogen production and utilization by 2050 could lead total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions to decrease by 10% relative to 2005 levels. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com power switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Kelsey Tamburino, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Chevron is striving to lead the way in the energy transition. They're working to deploy carbon capture and producing renewable fuels, developing multiple solutions today while forging new paths to the future. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash energy in progress.